in the secrets of Scotland Yard. How do you know? Is there such a thing as the perfect crime? If so, it's no place in this program. We're concerned with the majority of crimes, the imperfect ones. And yet, every so often, there comes a crime so very near to perfection that the criminals themselves must have believed at one stage of the game that they would really get away with it. And yet, invariably, they were wrong. Such is our case today. A classic in the annals of the tricksters. You've heard the expression, safe as the Bank of England... For more than a century, that expression has signified the stability of a great British institution. Stability, yes, but invulnerable, I wonder. The title of this program is The Bank of England Robbery. in the heart of the city of London is the home of the old lady of Threadneedle Street. For this is the affectionate name by which the Bank of England is known the world over. Her stone walls are guarded at night by a company of guardsmen and her gold and good name are guarded by day by the vigil of the clerks and managers. This is as true today as it was equally true almost 100 years ago. The time is the year 1873. Strolling along a city street in the summer of that year are two men. One is an inspector from Scotland Yard. The other is the famous American detective Arthur Pinkerton, who was over in England at the time in connection with some investigations for one of his American clients. Oh, a beautiful day, Inspector Shaw. Uh, yes, Mr. Pinkerton, you've certainly brought the fine weather with you. <laughs> I guess it's just a fallacy in America, but we always believe you have nothing but rain and fog in England. <laughs> well, I certainly wouldn't like to conceal anything from you, Mr. Pinkerton. And we do have our fair share of fog and rain, but <laughs> all the same, I hey, think... What? Wait a minute. Oh, what is it? See those two fellows ahead of us? What? You mean those two businessmen? Yeah. And unless I'm very much mistaken, they're in a pretty queer business. Oh, aren't they? I recognize them. Hey, look, they're crossing the road. Come on, we'll keep on this side, but try to draw a level. Mm, no, they're strangers to me. Mm, but not to me. Unless I'm very much mistaken, their names are George Bidwell and George McDonald. Bidwell has been mixed up in crime all his life. McDonald is a convicted forger. Both of them are well-educated and will stop at nothing. Hmm, I didn't know they were in England. Well, thanks for the information. Oh, uh, by the way, Pinkerton, do they specialize in any particular type of crime? Yeah, robbing banks. Detective Inspector Shaw arranged for the men to be shadowed. For the next few months, Scotland Yard kept a close watch on their movements. As an additional precaution, Scotland Yard sent a circular letter to the London banks, warning them of the presence of Bidwell and Macdonald in Europe. However, 
Majority of the banks had their own system of precaution, and the bank managers were not very impressed. Now these circular letters from Scotland Yard. I don't know what they take us for. Bunch of fools, I suppose. A couple of American tricksters over here. Uh, I suppose they think they can get away with the sort of trickery they use in New York. Oh, they'd get a surprise if they tried over here. I'd like to see them try it. His wish was to be fulfilled. The months went by, and no more news was heard of Bidwell and MacDonald. They both went over to the continent, and Scotland Yard gave up their watch. Then, a few months later, Scotland Yard received an urgent message from the Bank of England. Thank goodness you're here, Inspector. Immediately my attention was drawn to this forgery, I sent for you personally. I, I felt that if any man could help us, it would be you. Oh, uh, very kind of you, Mr. May. Well, now, suppose you give me all the facts of the case. Well, this morning, I had a message from Colonel Fraser, who is the manager of our West End branch. Among the bills cleared by him yesterday were two notes to the value of £1,000 each, in the name of a very respectable financier, Mr. Blydenstein. You mean that these notes were signed by Mr. Blydenstein and were, in fact, promissory notes to the value of £1,000 each? Uh, that is correct. Each uh, notes such as these, provided they are genuine and signed by a reputable banker or financier, are accepted by the Bank of England as full security. In fact, just as if they were actual money. And in due course, these bills go through to Mr. Blydenstein, who pays them, and the transaction is completed. Yes, of course. Such bills are usually post-dated. In fact, that is the reason they're lodged with the bank. On the date stated, they would go to Mr. Blydenstein, who would pay up. And these bills were, I presume, credited to the account of one of your customers at the West End branch? Yes, the account of a Mr. Warren, a businessman of considerable interest. He's an American. Oh, an American. You say he has considerable interest. Has he had the account of the bank for a long time? Not a very long time. No, I, I've had a talk with Colonel Fraser, and I gather, in point of fact, He's only had Mr. Warren's account for about a year. Uh, but that, of course, is explained by Mr. Warren being an American. He's over here in connection with the construction of the new Pullman trains. He's having a number of these trains built in Birmingham for use in England and on the continent. Oh, how did you know this? Uh, he told Colonel Fraser. I see. Now, I, I, I should not want you to think that Colonel Fraser relied on Mr. Warren's word concerning his stability. During the past year, a considerable amount of business um, has gone through his account. I need hardly add that there's been no grounds for suspicion in connection with Mr. Warren's account. We've had bills against some of the most reputable bankers and finances in Europe, including Rothschild. And in every case, the bills were genuine, because they've been met. Yes, uh, but this one against Mr... Um, uh, Mr. Blydenstein. Uh, yes, this is a forgery. That is correct. And the awful thing is that we might not have known it for some time if it hadn't been for the mistake. Oh, what mistake? Well, I told you, these bills were made out to be payable on a certain date. Yes. Well, on this particular bill, there was no date. It was noticed by one of the clerks, and Colonel Fraser sent it round to Mr. Blydenstein to have the correct date added. It was then we learnt it was a forgery. And when did Mr. Warren hand this bill into the bank? He didn't actually hand it in. I understand that he's been away in Birmingham for the last few months, and he had been in the habit of sending bills by registered post. Sending bills? 
Oh, in fact, you mean that he's made a habit of this uh, sending bill? Yes. Ah. And uh, what's the state of his account? Well, there's about £5,000 in it. A very considerable amount of money has passed through the account in the past few months, and most of it has been withdrawn through cheques made payable to a Mr. Horton, who has an account at the Continental Bank in London. Mm -hmm. And what money has been paid into Mr. Warren's account to meet these cheques? Uh, not much money. Most of it is represented by bills which will fall due during the next few months. Oh. And in the meantime, the Bank of England has credited Mr. Warren. Uh, about how much money do these bills represent? Well, I, I've only glanced at the figures, but I should estimate it must be something in the neighborhood of 100,000 pounds. £100,000. Mr. Warren didn't do things by halves. Immediately, Scotland Yard acted. Obviously, the account of the Continental Bank, in the name of Horton, was the means whereby the criminals were extracting the money. On the very day while Mr. May and the inspector were visiting the Continental Bank, a young man came in to cash one of Mr. Warren's cheques. Good morning. Good morning, sir. I've come to cash this check. Oh, thank you, sir. Hmm. It's, uh, if you'll just wait one moment, will you, sir? Yes, that's the account. All right, Mr. May. Uh, just one moment, please. Yes? Anything the matter? I'm a police officer. If you'd accompany me to the manager's office, I'd like a word with you. The young man, whose name was Noyes, turned out to be the clerk to Mr. Horton. He denied all knowledge of the plot and said that he'd only been in Mr. Horton's employment for a matter of months. We've checked up at the lodging house where he's staying, and I gather that he talks quite freely of his post with Mr. Horton. When did he meet Horton? Who evidently put an advertisement in the newspaper saying that he was seeking a situation and could put up some money as a guarantee of his being trustworthy. He gave Horton £150 to keep in trust. <laughs> Needless to say, Horton has disappeared. All the same, I don't quite trust Mr. Noyes. I think he knows more than he's saying. Further inquiries revealed that Noyes had come from America and that he'd arrived only six months ago. Pinkerton, the American detective, was now back in New York and acting on behalf of the bank. He helped Scotland Yard with information they urgently needed. Pinkerton advised London that a relative of Noyes had received that same month a draft for a thousand pounds. For a junior clerk, Mr. Noyes was very well paid. It's no use, you know. You'd better tell us the truth. Where did you get this thousand pounds? What thousand pounds? Did Horton give it to you? I don't know what you're talking about. Where is Horton? I warned you before, you'd do well to tell all you know. But the gang had chosen well. They knew that Noyes would keep his mouth shut. Already.
jury, however, the gigantic proportions of the crime had aroused the indignation of the country. It transpired that every one of the bills held by the Bank of England were forged. All the genuine bills that had been passed through the account of Mr. Warren during the previous year had been used by the gang both to create confidence in Mr. Warren's stability and to act as a basis for the forgeries they were planning to carry out. The Bank of England, to use an American expression of a different generation, had been taken for a ride. Needless to say, Horton, Warren, and every trace of the money had completely disappeared. The hunt was on. for certain that MacDonald left England before the very first forged bill was lodged at the bank. He was taking no risks. He went to France, and so far we haven't picked up his trail. But we've reason to suspect, however, that he's headed for South America. But what about the money? Ah, that isn't going to be easy to trace. After Noyes cashed the cheque at the Continental Bank, he took the banknotes to the Bank of England and exchanged them for gold sovereigns. Surely we can find this hoard of gold? Ah, hold on a minute. I believe they changed the gold back into notes back into gold sovereigns, and then into American bonds. One can't help admiring their thoroughness. I really cannot share your admiration. No, Mr. May, I don't suppose you can. Anyway, I'm pretty sure that if MacDonald has got away, Bidwell is still in this country. We're having every port watched, and we're putting our own Scotland Yard men to keep an eye on the American boats. I don't think he'll get away. George Bidwell was a man of infinite resource. He actually followed Noyes on his visit to the bank on that ill-fated day. And he'd seen him come out, accompanied by a police officer, and immediately realized that the game was up. To endeavor to get out of England in any ordinary way was out of the question. Although Bidwell was only some 40 years old, he'd spent the greater part of his life dodging the police of various countries. Having destroyed all the evidence at his lodgings, he made his way to one of London's great railway stations. He took the precaution of having a porter buy his ticket to Dublin, and then, quote his own words, I intended taking the 9 p.m. mail train, and as a precaution, I waited until the last moment, after the passengers were on board and the waiting room doors shut. As the mail was being transferred from the wagons to the train, I took the opportunity to walk through the big gate unobserved amid the Russian confusion. The car doors were all locked, but on showing my ticket to a guard, he let me into a compartment. No doubt supposing that I had obtained admission to the station from the waiting room and had been loitering about. The same was probably the case with the two or three other men looking out of the waiting room window at the platform, whom I judged to be detectives. The train rolled out of the station. Soon I was leaving London behind at the rate of 50 miles an hour. 
Dumbfounded, bewildered, paralyzed. 
I'd experienced some shocks, some takedowns in my time, but never one to compare with this. Arousing myself from a state of mental stupefaction, hitherto unknown, I put the paper into the fire and retired to the room allotted to me. But in the morning, he was off on the road again, posing as a penian, an Irish revolutionary. He managed to make his way to Dublin. He put up at a small hotel and might well have escaped attention if he hadn't left behind him his scarf with the initials GB. This was seen by one of the maids. I found this in his room, sir. He must have left it out when he was packing. Ah, this is our man, all right. I want every man you can spare to watch all the trains from Dublin tonight. Very good, sir. He must not get away. He must not get away. But he did, to Belfast, where, pretending to be a Frenchman, he managed to get on a boat to Glasgow. From there, he went on to Edinburgh, where he posed as a German medical student. For over three months, he lived there, corresponding with friends in America and successfully concealing his identity. Every day, he went for a brief stroll to buy the latest Edinburgh and London papers. The news agent, not entirely taken in by Bidwell's disguise, felt there was something suspicious about his customer. He happened to mention it to another customer who worked for a firm of lawyers. And among the clients of this firm of lawyers was the Bank of England. By such a slender chain of circumstances and luck, information concerning this mysterious stranger came back to Scotland Yard. Bidwell was followed. He took flight and tried to get away. This time he did not succeed. I tell you I'm no Fanian. I live. Then what do you want me for? For forgery. I don't know what you mean. I think you do. Meantime, the arrest of the other principal in the conspiracy was no less tinged with melodrama. There was a worldwide hue and cry. In America, Pinkerton was leading exhaustive inquirers into the background of the gang. A trail, in the end, led to Cuba, where other members of the gang were found and arrested. As for MacDonald, he fled aboard the liner Thuringa, and his arrest was only a week after a melodramatic boat race in the New York harbor. And what of the loot? Among a few clues which had not been destroyed by MacDonald and Bidwell was a letter which mentioned a certain Major Matthews. Though this name is our guide, we went through the shipping records of every mailboat company. And at last we found trace of a trunk of clothing which had been sent to the depot of the North Atlantic Express Company in New York to be called for by Major Matthews. Wrapped up in the soil lint were found three bundles of bonds to the total value of almost $300,000. Those of you who are inclined to think that the modern criminals know more tricks than their predecessors, remember this amazing story occurred in 1873. When the various accused came to trial in August of that year, there was such a vast array of evidence against them that there was little to be said in their defence. It says much for their characters that they were principally concerned in seeing that the innocent did not suffer for their actions. Bidwell spoke of the manager of the West End branch of the Bank of England. 
I should like to say concerning Colonel Fraser that I hope as the years go by, his resentment against me will wear away. I know a lot of people have blamed him, but I should like to say that any other man in London, however able, had he been in Colonel Fraser's position, would have been deceived by us. I'd like to say how sorry I am that he was deceived. That is all I have to say. The commercial world was horrified by the revelation that the greatest bank in England could be tricked, deceived, and despoiled. In those days of harsh sentences, the criminals could have a little hope of mercy. On the eighth day of the trial, after the men had been found guilty, the Lord Chief Justice proclaimed sentence. You, who now ask for mercy, and who are not restrained by respect for law and honesty, must be met with a terrible retribution. And it should be well known that persons who commit crime, which only persons of education sometimes commit, will be sure to meet with a very heavy punishment. I cannot see a reason to make a distinction in the sentence I am about to pass. In regard to that sentence, if I could conceive any case of forgery worse than this, I should have endeavoured to take into consideration whether such punishment less than the maximum might have been sufficient. But as I cannot conceive a worse case, I see no reason for mitigating the sentence. That sentence is that each and all of you be kept in penal servitude for life. And in addition to that sentence, I order that each one of you shall pay one-fourth of the costs of the prosecution. Twenty years were passed by before the last of these criminals was released. Bidwell lived to write the story of his infamous crime. As for the rest, have you noticed one thing about this story? At each stage, the almost perfect crime was spoilt not by the vigilance of the bank or the law, but by those little errors which, as we've learned in the series, time after time give the criminals away. If Bidwell had been a little less greedy, he might have escaped. Remember, those two bills which led to their downfall were not detected because they were forged, but because he'd forgotten to fill in the date. Again, after all Bill's ingenuity to avoid arrest, he put the police on his trail in Dublin by forgetting to pack his scarf. The Bank of England robbery was called the crime of the century, but like most other crimes, it was far from being perfect. Well, that's all for now. At our next meeting, I hope to be able to tell you more of the secrets of Scotland Yard. The Secrets of Scotland Yard is distributed by the Center for Telecommunication Services, the University of Texas at Austin, by special arrangement with the Overseas Programming Companies Limited. This is the Longhorn Radio Network. We're your...
Pancake cookies, 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 pancake Blackie condescends to visit the lonely Henry Rice. Aren't you afraid your friends will look out and uh, find out about this, Blackie? I'll take my chances with my friends, Rice. But I'm not going to take a kicking around from you. I'm kicking you around? You know what you're doing. You're framing a murder on my friend Shorty. Oh, terribly unfair of me, isn't it? You know what it is. An out-and-out frame. The police are looking for evidence on the murder of that fellow Ashley. And you have phony evidence that makes it look as if Shorty killed him. So I do, so I do. A cigarette lighter, I think, with Shorty's initials on it. And Shorty's fingerprints on it, too. And it was found at the scene of Ashley's murder. I know, I know. I made sure it would be found there. I've got it, you know. Yes, for now. But I'm getting it back. Shorty has a record. If the police connect him with Ashley's death, Shorty's as good as dead himself. Yes, he will be, won't he? <laughs> Ah, it looks as if your friend Shorty will go to the chair for murder, and you, the great Boston Blackie, won't be able to do anything about it. I might. I doubt it. Unpleasant position you're in, Blackie, but very pleasant for me. Look, I'll give you 10000 for that, lighter. Not interested. Making you miserable is worth ten times 10000 Then what will you take for the lighter? Nothing. You see, I have everything, Blackie. Everything. Even you in a jam. Uh, look... You're an art collector, aren't you? Yes, of a sort. Of the sort who'd like the Abbott's painting in his collection? Well, now you're getting interesting. But the Abbott is not for sale, Blackie. It's in the city art gallery and uh, under heavy guard. I know. But if you promise to give me Shorty's lighter, I'll get that Abbott for you. You will? How? I'll steal it. That's absolutely impossible. You let me worry about that. You can't do it, Blackie. You can't do it. Can't I? It's four o'clock in the afternoon now. By nine o'clock tonight, I'll have stolen that painting. And now, back to Dick Calmer as Boston Blackie. Enemy to those who make him an enemy. Friend... To those who have no friend. Look 
look in the left-hand top drawer of my bureau, will you, Mary? I think you'll find a razor blade with a handle. All right. Should be right in the front of the drawer. See it? Uh, yeah, I have it. Here. Thanks. Blackie, why are you collecting all this stuff? I can't tell you, Mary. Why not? Because in the first place you wouldn't like it, and in the place that ties for first you wouldn't believe it. Mm. Now, let's see if I have everything in this bag. Well, you have a razor blade with a handle, you have a knife, rubber gloves, and adhesive tape. That's everything you asked for so far. Then I guess I have everything I need. Now, all I have to do is close the case. There. And be on my way. So long. Blackie, what are you going to do? Is it something wrong? Who, me? Do something wrong? Mary. Yes, you do something wrong, Blackie. Mary, you've hurt my feelings. All I'm going to do is get Shorty out of a jam. With a knife, a razor blade, adhesive tape, and a pair of rubber gloves? Yes. What have they got to do with getting Shorty out of a jam? A lot. And you're asking a lot of questions. Not getting any answers. Oh, Blackie, please tell me where you're going. I'll worry myself sick. Oh, all right. I'm going to the city art galleries. With a knife, a... And a razor blade, adhesive tape, and a pair of rubber gloves. I'm going to steal the Abbott painting. You are going to do what? Steal the Abbott painting and give it to Henry Rice. Oh, Blackie, you're not. But I am. And don't worry. As soon as he gives me Shorty's cigarette lighter, I'm going to see that the painting goes right back to the gallery. Well, I should think so, but that's not what worries me. It's how you're going to steal it. There are steel doors and steel shutters on the windows of that gallery, and, and, and there are men with guns everywhere. Oh, darling, I don't know how you can possibly steal the abbot. Don't you, Mary? Well, don't feel too badly about it. Ask a million people, and they'll tell you it can't be done. But ask me, and I'll say it can. Inspector Faraday. Yeah, Rollins? Pick up your telephone. <laughs> There's a little surprise waiting for you on the other end of the line. Now, who is it? Little Red Riding Hood? No, no. Rollins, you've been around Blackie too much. No kidding, Inspector Faraday. Somebody very interesting wants to talk to you. Yeah? And it's funny that you mention Blackie because he wants to talk to you about Blackie. Yeah? Who is it? Pick up your phone and see. All right, I'll pick it up. But, Rollins, if this is your idea of a joke, I'll give you an idea of what it's like to be pounding a beat. Hello? Hello, Inspector Faraday. This is Henry Rice. Henry Rice? Yes, you remember me, of course. Remember you? Rice, if it takes me a hundred years, I'm going to... Get... I'm so glad to see you remember me and still hold me in such high esteem. Hold you in high esteem. I'll high esteem you. I'm going to hold you for murder. Why, how you love me. But I didn't call you to have you boost my ego. I thought perhaps you'd like to know something about your friend Boston Blackie. I know all I want to know about him. Oh, but you don't, Inspector. You don't. You've always wanted to send Blackie to the same iron-covered cottage you have for me, but you've never been able to prove anything against him. I will someday. Really? Well, Inspector, there, this is that day. Yeah? What are you talking about? Blackie and what he's going to do tonight. He's going to steal the Abbott painting from the city art gallery. He's what? You heard me, Faraday. Yes, I heard you. But I don't believe you. I'm not asking you to believe me. I just wanted you to know that the painting was to be stolen. And yet you couldn't keep Blackie from getting it. Have a pleasant night, Inspector. Listen, Rice, I... Now, wasn't that sort of a surprise, Inspector? Oh, you're still here, Rollins? Yeah, it was a big surprise. And guess what he wanted. What? 
to tell me Blackie is trying to steal the Abbott painting from the City Art Gallery tonight. Trying to steal the Abbott? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Get that, Rollins. Christ thinks I'm dumb enough to fall for that. Yeah, you'd have to be dumb to fall for it. Not even Blackie could break into the City Gallery, much less break out of it with the Abbott painting. <laughs> oh, no. Not even Blackie. Why, that painting is that painting is so heavily guarded that... So heavily guarded that... Rollins, stop laughing and get me a squad car. Blackie's going to steal the Abbott. What are we laughing about? No, Inspector Faraday. The gallery isn't closed. We're open till nine tonight. I see, Mr. Lawrence. And then you still have your regular number of guards on duty, huh? Oh, oh, yes, of course, of course. Even though there are few people in the gallery this late, it's it's almost closing time. And nothing's missing? Well, believe me, this place wouldn't be so quiet if anything were missing. <laughs> Much less the Abbott painting you thought was going to be stolen tonight. I didn't think it was going to be stolen, Mr. Lawrence. I just heard a rumor that somebody was after it, and I came down to get a check. Just routine. Well, I, I certainly appreciate your interest in my gallery, Inspector. Oh, uh, may I show you around? No, thanks. I have to get back to headquarters. Sorry if I had you worried about your Abbott painting, uh, Mr. Lawrence. Oh, I don't ever worry about it, Inspector. <laughs> it's the most heavily guarded painting in my gallery. Why, even... Not even... <coughs> well, what was that? Sounds like someone broke a window on the front part of the gallery. Yes, and there was a scream in that gallery there, too. Come on. I think we'd better have a look over there. Yes, I think we'd better. Here, what happened here? What happened? I don't know, Mr. Lawrence. I just stand in here, and all of a sudden, the window behind me broke. Someone must have thrown a stone in from the outside. No, sir. Nothing fell in here. I'd say someone in here threw something out the window. Well, did you see anyone throw anything? No, sir. None of these people here threw anything. Must have been thrown by someone standing where I couldn't see them, sir. Mr. Lawrence! Mr. Lawrence! Here comes another one of your guards, Mr. Lawrence. Yes, yes, and from the Abbott Gallery, too. Mr. Lawrence! Mr. Lawrence! All of a sudden, the lights went out. When I turned them on, the Abbott painting was missing. Well, what? turn in the alarm quickly. Tom's gone to turn it on already. Well, throw the switch that locks the doors and the window shutters. All taken care of, Mr. Lawrence. Yeah, yeah, there goes the alarm. Oh, dear, the Abbott's stolen. I, I, I can't believe it. I can, Mr. Lawrence. Round up everybody in the place. Don't let anybody out. I want to question everybody. Even though I know the guy who stole your painting. All right, Blackie. I've questioned and searched everybody in the place, including you. And no one has the painting. Where is it? You did the questioning and the searching. You tell me where it is. That painting's been cut out of its frame. You cut it out and got rid of it. Now, how did you get it out of here? The painting is missing? You know very well it is. Because you stole it. You can prove that, of course. No, I can't prove it. But you're here. I got a tip you'd steal it and the painting is missing. That's all I need to know. Oh, no, Faraday. You also need to know where the painting is. And until you know that, you can't say I stole it. All right, all right. I can't say you stole it. But I can think it. You can what? Think? You can think it? Faraday, you couldn't think your way out of a revolving door. Uh, Tell me something. Uh, there was a commotion in the other end of the gallery just before the painting was stolen. What was that? Oh, somebody threw something out of a window. The painting, maybe? No, it was just a stone. I thought maybe it had the painting wrapped around it or something. But a cop on the street saw it fall. That was just a stone. You're sure? Yeah, that was part of the thief's scheme. To create a commotion in another part of the gallery so he could come in here, turn out the light, and grab the abbot. Oh, yes. Very clever idea. It was your idea. And I know it. But can you prove it? No, I can't prove it. Then, of course, I can go. Yes, you can go. But when I find that painting, Blackie, your friends will find you in jail.
Oh, good morning, Mary. Come on in. You'd better let me come in. Have you seen the morning paper? No. What have I done now? You've stolen the Abbott painting. Oh, that's not news. That's old stuff. I did that last night. Yes, but how did you do it, Blackie? The way it was guarded, with even Inspector Faraday there. Oh, just genius, that's all. Just sort of an... There's a phone call for you, genius. <laughs> Thanks. Hello. Good morning, Blackie. This is Henry Rice. Oh, Henry. Good morning. Yes, isn't it, though? And I see in the papers where you had a good night. Oh, fair. <laughs> you got the habit, Blackie. How did you do it? How did you do the impossible? It wasn't easy, Rice. I just made it look that way. And now, back to Boston Blackie. Blackie's friend, Shorty, is being framed for the murder of a man named Ashley. Gang leader Henry Rice, who hates both Blackie and Shorty, has the phonied evidence against Shorty, and in order to get it, Blackie promises to steal the valuable and heavily guarded Abbott painting. The morning papers announce that the painting has been stolen. And as we return to our story, Blackie is asking Henry Rice to keep his part of the bargain. All right, Rice. I stole the painting for you. Where's the cigarette lighter with Shorty's fingerprints on it? Where's the painting, Blackie? I'll deliver it. I'll surrender the lighter on delivery of the painting. Oh, no. I don't trust you. You crossed me. You tipped off Faraday that I was going to steal the Abbott. But I got the painting for you just the same. Give me the lighter and I'll deliver the painting. <laughs> Fair enough. Here it is. Thanks. Now, uh, when do I get the painting? In a little while. But tell me something. What did you call Faraday and tell him I was going to steal the Abbott if you wanted the painting so much? To tell you the truth, Blackie, much as I wanted that Abbott, I didn't much care whether you got the painting or Faraday got you. No? No. You see, it's hard for me to decide which I do most. Like that painting or dislike you. speaking. Hello, Inspector. This is your old pal, Blackie. Listen, you. I don't want to talk to you until you're ready to tell me what you did with that painting. And then I'm going to talk to you through bars. You mean they're putting you in a cage? I'll cage you, Blackie. What do you want? I want you to meet me at the City Art Gallery so I can give you the Abbott painting. I wanted you in on this, too, Mr. Lawrence. Uh... In case Blackie's just pulling another fast one. I, uh, I don't know too much uh, about pictures. Well, I'm glad you called me in, Inspector Faraday. The Abbott was stolen from this room. Oh, uh, Blackie, uh, how did you do it? And where is the Abbott now? One thing at a time, Mr. Lawrence. You can see how I stole the painting. There's the frame for it, still there on the wall, empty. Yes, you cut the picture out of its frame. That's obvious. But uh, when, how did you do it without anyone seeing you? Well, that was the easiest part of it. I waited until there was no one here, then caused that commotion outside. While everybody was in the front hall of the gallery, you had time enough to cut the abbot out of its frame, roll it up, and take it away. Yes, but not very far. Come on. The abbot's in the next room. Taped to the back of another picture. Oh, thank heavens, man. I I thought we'd seen the last of the abbot forever. Uh, Where? Which picture? Right there. The painting of the two children. Hey. It's gone. It was hanging there last night. Blackie. 
We sold that painting out a half hour ago. What? Yes, yes, to a man named, named Smith. Uh, Smith from Kansas City. Smith from Kansas City, huh? I know who that is, all right. An old friend of mine. See you fellas later. Oh, no, Blackie, you're not going anywhere. This is another one of your tricks. You're coming to... Not to jail, Faraday. At least not with this gun in my hand. Uh, a gun? Oh, good heavens, why... Good you... heavens, Mr. Lawrence? Ah, uh-uh. Goodbye. This is Blackie. Oh, hello, Blackie. Did you give the painting back to Inspector Faraday the way you promised? I tried to, Mary, but I couldn't. It's gone. Gone? Sold to a man named Smith from Kansas City for $250. Oh, Blackie, no. No is right, Mary. I think I know who has it, and it's not John Smith, and he's not from Kansas City. All right, who has it? A man who seems to like to play tag. And, Mary, if you don't mind, I'd like you to get into the game. I don't see any reason for this call of yours, Blackie. As you can see, I am Smith of Kansas City, and uh, I have what I want. You mean you're Henry Rice of New York, and you think you have what you want. (laughs) Oh. Then what is that painting hanging on the wall behind my desk? Two very lovely children. Recognize it? Yes, that's the painting I taped the amber to. Surprised? Frankly, I am. I didn't think you were smart enough to figure out how I'd steal it. But I was smart enough, wasn't I? I arrived at your method of stealing it by the simple process of elimination, my dear Blackie. You see, it couldn't be taken out of the gallery, and so when I heard it was missing, I knew it must still be in the gallery. And so I looked, and so I found it. Oh, fine. Is the abbot still taped to the back of that painting on your wall? Uh, Not quite. You'll never find the abbot, I can assure you. Even if I did find it, Rice... I wouldn't be finding the abbot. No? No. If you knew anything about art at all, you'd know the painting I stole for you was a phony. I don't believe it. Look at it closely and you'll see. Come on, we'll look at it together and I'll prove it to you. Ah, no, 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 Blackie. You can be more clever than that, really. I can look at the painting myself and tell whether or not it's authentic. Then go ahead, look at it. And have you followed me to it? Oh, no, 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 no. Then you're going to spend the rest of your days with a phony painting. But that's not my worry. You know, Blackie, you've aroused my curiosity. I hate to think I've been cheated, but I think you'd better stay here while I go look at it, if you don't mind. I do mind. What was the buzzer for? You'll see. Ah, there. Turn around and look at the reason for the buzzer. Come in, Max. Yeah, boss, sure. Where did you find a guy this big? In the Redwood Forest? <laughs> Rather overgrown youngster, isn't he? Uh, Max, I have to run out a minute. Do you think you could uh, persuade this fellow to remain here and quietly until I return? Oh, sure, boss. I got a friend here in my pocket could convince him like this. (laughs) Some convincer, huh, boss? That's good work, Max. (laughs) That should keep him asleep for a little while. I'll be back in a few minutes. Hey, Hey, you know something, boss? What? I like to hit guys on the head. It does something to me. Oh, Oh. Oh, you come to now, huh? Good. I'll let you get up, and then I'll hit you again with my blackjack. Oh, hi, boss. You're back, huh? Yeah. Hi. 
Hello, Rice. You see the painting? Yes, and it's authentic, all right. Hmm? Never mind, you wouldn't understand, Max. Blackie, your trick, alas, didn't work. Well, uh, you can't blame a guy for trying, can you? <laughs> no. You'll never find the abbot, Blackie. You know, I've outsmarted you at every turn. I feel rather good about that. I'll get that painting back. You'll never even see it again. Now, don't you envy me, Blackie. I have the Abbott painting. I'm free and clear of any suspicion. But the police are looking for you, and you don't even know where I've hidden the painting. Well, now, I think you've done everything you can for me, Blackie. You may go now. Well, thanks for something, anyway. No hard feelings, Blackie. Here, I'll make amends by taking you to the top of the steps. Well, here we are, Blackie. Just one flight down, and you're in the street. And I suppose you think out on my feet, too. <laughs> I trust not. You'll need to be rather nimble to sidestep the police. Don't forget, they're looking for you. Thanks for the warning. Don't mention it. <laughs> Good girl, Mary. You're here right on time. Did everything work all right? Perfectly. I did just what you told me on the phone. I waited outside Rice's office door, then I followed him down the steps, and from then on I didn't let him out of my sight till he went into another building. But, um, where's the abbot? You show me the building Rice went into, and I'll show you the abbot. This is the door he went into when you followed him, Mary? Yes, Blackie. Ah, this is a warehouse. But warehouse, a palace, this is where Rice hid the abbot. Yeah, but it's such a big warehouse. We'll find it. Come on, let's go in. Say, the door's unlocked. That's good. No, that's bad. Means there's probably a guard around here somewhere. Mm. Shh. Well, this seems to be nothing but an ante room. Um, there's another door there. Should we try that one? Uh-huh, come on. But quietly. Don't worry. No. Shh. I hear footsteps. Yes, and I see the man who's making them. Oh, oh, I see something else, too. This is a gambling casino. It's empty now, but Rice must use this place every night. Uh-huh. And here comes Mr. Footsteps. We'll have to take care of him before we do anything else. Now, he isn't as big as that match you were telling me about. No, he isn't, but he's got a gun. Be quiet or we'll be telling the angels about him. You're so right. Shh, here he comes. Hey, you. Thanks for turning your chain. Why, Blackie, you hit him only once, you selfish. Not even a second sock for me. Mary, I would gladly trade that second sock for a second sight that would help me find the abbot. Oh! Any luck in finding the painting over there, Blackie? No, Mary. But I may find it under this tabletop. Well, I have torn things apart till I'm exhausted. It's the last place I'm going to look. Well, look over the old places again. We may have missed something. Oh, dear. Well, it's not here. I'm going to rest a minute. Uh, I'll rest in a minute. Hmm. Uh, not here. I'll try this. Over here, maybe under this table. Nope, nothing here. I'll try over there. Mind if I play a little roulette while you look? No, go ahead. I love roulette, when it's for fun. I love looking for things when I can find them. Uh-oh. 
Red and even. The situation here is black and odd. <laughs> oh, gosh, I guess Rice has us fooled completely. Oh, no, Blackie, you'll find it. Want to quit for a while and, uh, play a little roulette? No, Stranger? I'm going to start thinking again. I- I'm sure if Rice came here, the painting is in here. Red and even. Let's see where the little ball stops this time. I wish it would stop on the painting if I... That's it. What? Stand back, Mary. That roulette wheel is turned for the last time. What are you going to do? Take that table leg here and smash the roulette wheel. Oh, golly. In a million pieces. And I was just about to spend it and make a fortune. Mary, we found a fortune. Look under what's left of the wheel. Well, uh, looks like a roll of canvas. Here, look at it. When I take it out and unroll it, look. The painting. Yes, the painting, Mary. And suddenly the whole picture is changed. Well, Blanky, so you went to all the trouble of stealing the Abbott just because of Shorty's lighter. Yes, and now Shorty has his lighter, and the art gallery has its Abbott, and everybody is happy, I suppose. Well, I'm not happy. Why didn't you tell me Rice was framing Shorty and let me get that lighter from him? Because by the time you'd have cleared Shorty, he'd have been sent to the electric chair. Shorty was innocent. Of course he was. If you're unhappy because I didn't let you help clear Shorty, I'm unhappy because Henry Rice was the cause of all this, and he's going free. Oh, no, he isn't. You've arrested him? Well, what for? Running a gambling joint? No, we couldn't prove that. But the D.A. has a great case against him, Blackie. And all because Rice made you steal that painting. But you can't say Rice stole the painting. I did. Yes, you stole it, Blackie. But who got it after you stole it? Well, Rice did. Uh Oh, I'm beginning to see a little flaw in Rice's master plan. And what a flaw. You didn't actually steal the Abbott. Technically, all you did was move it from one room to another. So that clears you. I'm sorry to say, but the painting was taken out of the gallery, so Rice goes to jail for receiving stolen property. Good work, Faraday. This all started with Shorty's cigarette lighter, but it looks like Rice met his match. (laughs) 